0: Welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary Black men doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Keith Den, and we are in part four in the final episode of Finding True Freedom in San Quentin Prison. It's the story of Jarvis J. Masters, who was taken from his mother after watching his father almost beat her to death at the age of five, then was in and out of foster homes and institutions until the age of 19, when the conflict he had within himself And the violence he inflicted to ease that pain landed him at san quentin it is there where he has spent his days with the last 21 years sentenced to death by lethal injection and in solitary confinement longer than any other person in san quentin history but out of despair comes hope and jarvis's hope appeared through his buddhist practice and his writing including two books finding freedom how death row opened my heart And That Bird Has My Wings, the autobiography of an innocent man on death row. In the fourth and final episode, we discuss his impact and how he has used his platform not only to educate and counsel the people inside San Quentin, but outside as well. His writing sparked a collaboration with the Creative Alliance Project on a dance performance called Got My Wings, a piece in support of prison reform. And his work with young people, especially those impacted by incarceration and violent crimes.
1: I knew, to answer your question, I have to stay in touch with kids who are in trouble. I think that's my place outside of this prison. It's right there. I know my job. I know what I'm good at, and that's where I'm good at.
0: On that note, let's start the show. Great. great, so just a couple more questions. so
2: I know you have um you have a passion for working with young people uh, which is which is awesome right. so what are some of the lessons that you provide to them to try to keep them on the right path?
1: Oh wow um, i think this I think this goes back away uh when i was when i this is a short story. Um, but it, well it's a short story but it's a life changing story for me because of the way I perceived it. There's there's when I was when when I was uh doing my trial and you know, they wanted to find an expert who would you know talk about San Quentin and the conditions in San Quentin and why inmates uh tend to be and he was an inmate who were in the nineteen fifties a two-time, three-time loser, you know. And he came to see me, and he was going to interview me and all that. And I asked him, you know, I was like in my 20s, I think. And I asked him, I said, why would you want to work in a place like this? Why would you want to come back to a place like this? And you were in in a prison like this. Wouldn't I don't understand you, you know. And he looked at me, and he had that prison look. It, it, it's very, very distinguished, you know. Uh, And he said to me, he said, you know, I either were going to come back the way I came in or I was going to come in here like the way I'm talking to you. But either way, I had to have this connection to all the years I've been in prison. And when he said that, it really, really made sense because what I know best is these places, you know. And talking to a lot of youngsters is what I'm pretty good at, you know. But, you know, Keith, I mean, I got 50 years of experience with this stuff, you know. So I knew to answer your question, I have to stay in touch with kids who are in trouble. I think that's my place outside of this prison. Right there, I know my job. I know what I'm good at, and that's where I'm good at.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, if your younger self was in front of you right now, um, and you saw some of the things that person is doing, what would you what would you say to them to kind of rear them back to their their self?
1: Well, I would, just off the top of my head, I would ask that person to count all the people who care, care about it. You know, who, who which one are you going to leave out? Your mother, your father, your sister? You know, I know you're going to leave something out. And then I'll work on that, you know, whatever that is that he leaves out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that would have helped me, you know. I got all my junk out, got all the problems I had, and then now what are you going to do? Um, you're gonna confront what's been really, really painful, you know. Um, so, I like to get to that pain, you know. Mm. Where is it at? You know, find it, you know. And that's that's what I that's what I do. I find it, you know. Um, and then I I really talk to these guys and these young people as if they're adults because I really believe everything they've been through so far has been you know, what adult, what only an adult can probably sustain or go through, you know. Um, and if I look at a person and I see that, you know, he is an adult irregardless of his age, he's been through all the shit that a whole lifetime it would take, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And it's easy for me to really, really... uh talk because, you know, hey, man, I got a lot of stuff I can talk about. And that's the, and that's a good start for me. You know, uh, they say their mother was a prostitute. I say mine's were too. Now what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the way I usually, you know, take off on right. these guys.
2: Right. Uh, so you, you, you can definitely meet them where they are. And so they really can't. Oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, they can't BS you. Yeah, they can't really BS important. you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, hell no. Uh, but that's what's important. I think what's important for me, and this is what I was taught as a Buddhist, and it really hit to me. And you know, I use this every single day. Is the fact that I am totally aware. I mean, not just knowing, but Totally aware uh, that someplace there's a lot of people that's in a worse position than I am, you know. And I take heart to that because I know that whatever I'm doing to help me is just the start of helping other people. Um, but I'm always knowing that you know if you you yeah. know if, if that bird has my wings. There was a guy in there who, whose parents set him on fire, you know. And I looked at those scars. I seen them. I seen what it looks like. Um, mm. And I think all the people at that age that did not let that happen to me, you know. Mm. Um, and those guys are those guys that I'm talking about with you, Keith. Are are here. Right. You know, are they in Pelican Bay? Are they in another person? But they're here. They're locked up. Um, and they've been locked up many, many times for a long period of time. Um, so, yeah, this is what I would do, man. I would work with, that's what That's what, That's what. what I do Noki. I know how to work in those environments. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I do have to say I mean, I that wouldn't,
1: I wouldn't even know how to stand in a line by a a stick of a gum, you know. Um, but if you walk me through those institutions, I know them. I know them well. Mm.
2: Well, we need more. We need more Jarvis J. Masters in these institutions because I think it would really your your energy would really impact a lot of uh, people that are in prisons all over. Um and so um yeah so that bird has my wings really kinda impacted my life and has really uh a very profound book. So I I'd just love to ask you what what are what is it that you're actually working on right now?
1: Well you know, I'm not working on it but I got notes. <laughs> you can call it working on it. But they had a big, big, big uh thing here in San Quentin where, you know, it blew up, you know, COVID really blew up. And it was like four or 500 people in here that had COVID. People were dying all around me. My neighbors were dying. And it was just mm. a bad scene. Uh, they would put paint on the top of the door so they know, so they could identify who has it, you know. I mean, it was really biblical type stuff, you know. And um, it was not a joke. People were literally dying. I mean, almost every day people were dying. And I want to write about that. I want to write about being caught in a cell with COVID Mm -hmm. and what does that do to you and what did it do to the institution? Um, and what did they did not do? And what was it that we did not say to help us get the medical attention that we got, we, we did not get, um, so I want to write about that. I want to write about San Quentin and COVID, you know, and mm. I'm collecting stories, that, small stories, the stories that I can make bigger, the stories I can go more into detail with, but they're there. I I see, a, you know, I, I look down at something I wrote, and I see a story that I just going to use those few words to know what is what the story's going to be about, you know, so... Um, that's what I'm right. I really want well, to bring the world into San Quentin and show them what really happens.
2: Right. And, well, that's uh, that's fascinating, um, and I'm going to do my part to try to bring people in to San Quentin so they really get an idea of your story and how you have been resilient and persevered throughout your journey. So I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today and um and just to share with me i really just it has been very impactful for me and i i'm truly grateful for uh corny uh, reaching out to me to do this today
1: well hey, you know what Keith? thank you for having me man um i really appreciate it it's just it's just that you know I wish, I wish, I wish so much that I can be outside the prison and and sit where you are and have that conversation that we had today. Hopefully, I'll be able to experience
2: some of that at some point. Well, I hope so as well, and we'll and I'll do my part to get the word out um, on the podcast. I'll be sure to um, not only provide your works but also provide a way that um people can get involved and to know more about your story and um to whatever they are you know passionate about trying to let people know about the story and to do something about Absolutely. it because really it is very important
1: that. i really appreciate that
2: great right so um i mean i know you're a big baseball guy played baseball so who who was your favorite team
1: the dodgers
2: dodgers okay yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're, I they're mean, doing...
1: When I was in that foster home, when I was in the first foster home, he used to always take me to the Dodgers game. I used to always go. Um, okay. They were, yeah, it was fun. It was fun going. Um, and they just stuck with me. You know, they've, you know, they've stuck with me all these years. Um,
2: okay. Yeah, I'm on the, the East Coast, so... You um... get a
1: chance to watch in person, you know, that team you got to have for the rest of your life. Yeah.
2: Um, well, I was an East Coast guy, so I'm a, Yan- a Yankee, a fan. So. Um, oh man. You know what, Reggie, anybody, Reggie Jackson. Is anybody, <laughs> isn't
1: there another baseball? Team? Isn't it the Mets? Who who ride with the Mets? Where in New York does the Mets have their fans at?
2: They're here, but you know, um, since they don't win, they they kind of hide in the shadows a little bit. But. <laughs> <laughs> but. But they, but they're they're around. Trust me. When they're winning, they come out. Trust me.
1: Well, what part of New York does the Mets really really celebrate?
2: You have sixty seconds remaining.
1: Their team. I mean,
2: is it primarily primarily over in Long Island? Uh, yeah, Buffalo primarily. Where? No, primarily in Long Island and Queens. So okay. um, yeah. So that and, and and then the Yankees are in all, all right. everywhere else. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, there's no doubt about it. You know, Uh, I'm when I see the Yankees, I I don't want to bet against them. I don't want to do anything but watch them. You know, Uh, right?
2: But the Dodgers are doing well. They should, um, they should do well this year. You know, but like I I know you'll probably get cut off. But I really, they are doing well. Yes, they are doing well.
1: They started off doing really terrible, though, right?
2: Uh, yeah, they start out slow, but they I think they're the second team in the National League um, behind the Braves. So they'll be in the playoff. Oh, he just got cut uh, off. Doesn't
1: that suck? Lost him.
2: Yeah, Doesn't that yeah. suck?
1: Like, yeah. it just sucks because you, you get a momentum and you get the chemistry and... Well, Keith, you are a lovely man. Um, I cannot thank you enough. Um, I know Jarvis feels the same.
0: What a truly impactful story for me. One that I'll never forget. I really hope and pray that I get to talk to Jarvis again. And with everyone's help, I'll get to talk to him on the outside of San Quentin. If you want to support his cause and sign the petition to exonerate Jarvis J Masters, go to www.freejarvis.org and sign his petition and share not only this podcast, but his story. A special thanks goes out to Corny Cole, who was responsible for connecting Jarvis and me for this episode. She also is the host of a social justice podcast called Dear Governor, which delves deeper into facets of Jarvis's life as well as the deeply flawed criminal justice system. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Dent. You can find the previous episodes of Finding True Freedom in San Quentin, as well as other episodes, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. We always like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from Jarvis J. Masters' book, Finding Freedom, How Death Row Broke and Opened My Heart. I used to feel I could hide inside my practice, that I could simply sit and contemplate the raging anger of a place like this, seeking inner peace through prayers of compassion. But now, I believe love and compassion are things to extend to others. It's a dangerous adventure to share them in a place like Saint Quentin. Yet I see now that we become better people if we can touch a hardened soul, bring joy into someone's life, or just be an example for others, instead of hiding behind our silence. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.